Ow! Ow! Jesus is alive. He's removed all doubt. Jesus is alive. Let's get the word out. I ain't talking about no COVID. I ain't talking about Corona. When I say Jesus is alive, don't you leave me all alone. Somebody say Jesus is alive. I can't hear you in your living room. Jesus is alive. Let's get into God's word, the account of the resurrection in John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the other cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. First thing I want to hit from these verses is that the tomb is empty. I'm not confident everyone that's listening to me right now understands. No one has ever found the body of Jesus Christ. Though it would have crumbled Christianity, toppled every church and every religious institution there is, no one has ever found the body of Jesus Christ and summarily explained why that heavily secured, guarded, and watched tomb was found empty. The level of detail in the scriptures is incredible. About the linens, first of all, that they were folded and that the face linen was separate from the other linen. Why that detail? Why that human detail of John in his gospel having to make sure that we know that he runs faster than Peter? Peter can walk on water though, John, so big deal. But you're faster than him, good for you. But that little human detail imported into the scriptures. The actual names and identities of everyone involved. And this was not challenged in its day. This is not your typical made up religious, fanciful, mythological, religious con job writing. This is historical, logical, a cool headed accounting and recounting of an actual historical event. How outstanding is the Bible? How inscrutable are its truths? Let's dig back in in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. I want you to notice something special about this passage. There is heavenly and human witness to the resurrection. Sure, the women get there first. They're not sure what to do. They serve and they help. They get to work. 
This is important information herein and was not contested back in the day. It was accepted as it was shared who was there and what they did. The angels in white were likely ministering to the body of Jesus at the scene before the resurrection. And though it's more significant to us maybe that there were human testimonies about the resurrection, it is imperative for a world-shattering event such as this that the Bible includes the presence of spiritual beings, of heavenly beings, angels. They were there at his announcings to Mary and Joseph, at his birth, at his temptation, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and now at his empty tomb. In fact, the most important words about the resurrection that were ever said were probably not said by a human, but said by angels in Luke's account of the resurrection. In chapter 24 of Luke, it says, the angel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen, just as he said. Men and women, Jesus is alive. There's no doom, there's no gloom. So what if you're not at church and you're in your living room and you can only see your friends on Zoom? It's all right, baby, because we got an empty tomb. Somebody say Jesus is alive out there. The first responders to the tomb fully expected to find a dead body. This is important. They were not headed there on a mission of burying all of this and making it look like he was resurrected. They weren't heading there as if they had been listening, expecting a resurrected, glorified, transformed Jesus Christ. They came to the tomb expecting him to be dead, further illuminating that there was no conspiracy amongst the disciples or these women or the early church or the early followers of Jesus. The people arriving at the tomb had come to pay their respects, to mourn, and in the case of the three women, to prepare his body for burial as Hebrews are buried three days after death in accordance with the law. There's more proof here that this is not just a fanciful story, but that this is a bedrock truth. Other gospels, Mark, uh, Matthew, and Luke report that Jesus was put in the tomb or grave of a wealthy man, Joseph of Arimathea. Did you know that 700 years before any of this happened, before the life of Christ, the Jewish prophet Isaiah received a vision that the Messiah one day, that though he was innocent, he would be one, laid in a rich man's grave, two, treated as a criminal, and three, though he was innocent, he would go through all of these things. These things generally do not go together. Innocence, no deceit, And a poor man who said of himself he had nowhere to lay his head somehow ends up in the tomb of a wealthy man. These are not things that happen, but only God. Only God could remove all the doubt and the coincidence to what everyone thought would happen, that the Messiah would be a ruler, an overcomer, a political liberator, as Colin talked about last week. But look at the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53. This is about Jesus, the deliverer, the Messiah, the rescuer of Israel. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich rich man in his death. And although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. We see in his resurrection and in his burial and everything, all the scriptures are ticking off. All the prophecies are being fulfilled. Let's go back to the narrative in the gospel of John. Verse 13 picks up as the angels say to, to the women, they say, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, well, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. 
Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus then spoke to her, Mary. She turned, recognizing his voice, and said to him, Rabbi. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Interesting things. The resurrected Jesus was not immediately recognizable. Wow. She thinks he's the gardener? This is really interesting for us. We're supposed to have transformed bodies at our resurrection. And how interesting that, and it's not that Jesus looked rough or looked like a gardener, but she just couldn't fathom who would be in the tomb. The caretaker, the gardener, the guy that's supposed to take care of the details. Who is it? And in her overwhelmed state, she says, are you the gardener? And have you taken him someplace? Also notice the resurrection is a story meant to be shared. Do you see how Jesus' first reaction and impulse is to get away from Mary and command her to stop having her personal little hallelujah party and to get busy telling other people about what has happened? Jesus cares so much, even in that hour of glory, that people would know who he is, that he's their Lord, and that he's had victory over death, and that he will save them. Jesus is alive. Come on, Mary. He's not working in the garden. Jesus is alive. Don't allow your heart to harden. Jesus is alive. Give up your resistance. Jesus is alive. He will never social distance. Too soon? Somebody say Jesus is alive out there. Now we transition to Jesus and the disciples in the upper room. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withhold. Now Thomas One of the 12, Thomas called the twin. He was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, Thomas, we've seen the risen Lord. You know the story. Thomas doesn't buy it. And he says, unless I see the marks in his hands and put my hands in the holes in his side, I will never believe. Let's pick up in verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And this time Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. 
And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And in that moment, even doubting Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Now again, don't miss what he did for the disciples. He's sending them, he's sending us out with the gospel. Tells us he'll give us the Holy Spirit so that we can have it. But then I love what we see in the story of the 11, the other disciples, and then when Thomas shows up, Jesus died and rose for believers and doubters. He died and rose for believers and doubters. He's both concerned with the eager adopter and the entrenched doubter. Don't you want Jesus? I can't believe that everyone that's watching this talk today has a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I know a lot of you have found this video on YouTube while you were trying to find a cat playing the piano or hilarious fails and you ended up here somehow. I know that because of tradition or need for hope this year, you might have clicked on to see what's going on and what we're or some other church is talking about. Don't you want to have peace? Don't you want to have love? Don't you want to have forgiveness? Don't you want to have joy in your life? Don't you want to be able to walk around in the midst of this national crisis and not have anxiety and not have fear, but have security and have peace and have wonder at what God is going to do to use all of this for his glory. Don't you want Jesus? Jesus then says to Thomas, although he accepts him right where he is, he makes a point and he says, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you guys get that that scripture's for us? That scripture delivered and spoken to Thomas is for us. We are one of the many, many, many generations that have not seen Jesus. We didn't get to see him feed 5,000. We didn't get to see him calm the sea. We didn't get to see him clear the temple. We didn't get to see him heal the leper. We didn't get to see him forgive and shield the woman that everyone attacked. We didn't get to have that personal face-to-face -face relationship with Jesus Christ. You and I have stepped out in faith. You and I have believed in a world that says God is dead. You and I have believed in the one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ. We are just foolish enough to believe that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and we are sinners in need of a Lord. And so we have believed in Jesus Christ. And it, the Bible tells us there's a maybe, I don't know, a greater or a more significant or more robust blessing for those of us who have believed, though we haven't seen with our own eyes. Jesus is alive. Believe it and be blessed. You're watching in your living room. You're not even fully dressed. Jesus is alive. Put this teaching to the test. Jesus is alive. Let everything and everyone with breath say it. Jesus is alive. What is this blessing? There's a blessing for us when we believe. Let me just give you a few things. Eternal life. Can I tell you, I do not fear death at the hands of the coronavirus or anything else. And that's not because I'm a cowboy and I don't care about anything. That's not because I want to put myself in harm's way. That's because I have always known that someday it's going to end. 
And what matters in this life is my relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if I get sick and die, I get to go and be with the Lord. It doesn't matter if I lose everything. It doesn't matter if this is the most awkward and strange and anxious time to live through for our generation. I've got Jesus. I don't fear. Do you? Don't you want to have that? Oh, baby, don't you want to have that where you don't fear, where you're not riddled with anxiety? Don't you want to say, I have a father, God, who's so capable, who's so able, who's so wonderful, and so much greater? Take everything away from me, and if I have Jesus at the end of it, that is everything I need. What is this blessing? It's eternal life. It's hope and peace and confidence now, so you don't have to wait for the afterlife. We're not Christians who believe in the pie in the sky. We believe in the sand sandwich in the now. We get it all now too. We get to have everything that God has. The Bible says the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to us because of what he's done. Because he died on the cross for my sins, I don't need to live in shame. I don't need to live in fear or insecurity. I have everything I could ever want now as well. And that doesn't mean I walk around with a permagrin and a fake smile. You can't see it behind my mask anyways. But it means that I have a peace that abides from my toes all the way up to my head, cradling my soul. I don't have to worry about every little thing because I have a God who will do it for me. What is this blessing? It's strength and courage in trials. Church, I challenge you, if you're a church, if you're a Christian listening in, show what you have in Jesus to this world. Show them. Everybody's so afraid or so just annoyed. Show them Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Show it off. God cares for you. A blessing that we have, and I can't miss how quickly Jesus put them to work after the resurrection. It wasn't about enjoy this moment. It wasn't about a mountaintop experience, and now we just easily take over the world. He, at this moment, asked his disciples to go change the world through hard work, through sweat, through tears, through toil, through prayer, through prayer, through prayer, and through action. We have a purpose that is better than just existing. His resurrection is supposed to be your resurrection. His raising from the dead is supposed to be your spiritual raising from the dead. His new life is to be your new life and my new life. Jesus is alive. Don't you want a purpose better than just existing? Haven't you already watched everything on Netflix in this month of lockdown? Aren't you ready to put your life to work for the gospel of Jesus Christ? There's this great guy in our food bank. His name is Victor. He serves there. He's this big black guy. He's so fun. He's so loud. He's so gregarious, so engaging. So we're serving at the food bank last Saturday, and we've got our masks on, and it's kind of different than it usually is. And Victor just yells across the room like, Dave, can I tell you a story? And I said, well, I'm not going to stop you. And so he tells this story of how a couple days before he was just so annoyed with everywhere he went, people had their heads down or people are rushing to buy all the toilet paper and, and just could be consumed with whatever's going on and the fear and always talking about coronavirus, coronavirus, coronavirus. And he went into the dollar store, and as he's watching people mope around, he just decided to lift his head and say this, what's wrong with you people? Don't you know it's Easter next Sunday? 
Don't you know Jesus is alive? Don't you know Jesus is alive? And I wish I could tell you they streamed to him and said, oh, good sir, tell us of this Jesus. I need to buy some dollar straws, but first, and some dollar ribeye, but, for, oh, that sounds disgusting. But first, tell me of this Jesus. But you know what just happened? Is they all kind of looked up at him like, oh, he crazy. And then put their heads back down and went right back to their worrying and their buying and their fretting. I don't want to be inconsiderate to anyone who is worrying or fretting. But you know, that may not be the way that you choose to share the gospel, but I was just so proud and happy to hear that someone saw an opportunity and took it to say how great Jesus Christ is. Imagine what those folks heard that day and maybe just turned away from because it was out of place or it was something they just were scared of. But imagine what it would be if in our own ways for the rest of our lives, we start to kind of in thoughtful and considerate and prayerful ways, addressing people in our life nicely. Hey, what's wrong with you? Don't you see that Jesus is alive? I encourage you, go out on your porch today. And just go, just practice. Hey, what's wrong with you? Don't you know that Jesus is alive? Now, wouldn't that be a crack up? Don't we need a purpose better than just existing? Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. I want to say it for every person that's watching today. Jesus is alive for you in your living room, in your pajamas. Jesus is alive for you listening to our podcast on your run the day after Easter for some reason. Jesus is there for you. You can't get your family into the room for some reason, and you're sitting there alone. Your husband doesn't understand. Your wife doesn't understand. But Jesus is alive for you. This young man or young woman who's watching this and your parents don't come to church with you and you've been fighting the good fight and staying connected all these weeks, Jesus is alive for you. Jesus is alive. You have cancer. You may feel that you're dying, but Jesus is alive in you. You are living in a trap of fear in your own home about stepping outside or what might happen. Forget it. Jesus is alive for you. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Will somebody say, like they care, Jesus is alive? The Gospel of John ends after this amazing recounting with this. John caps it up this way. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these ones are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I want to take a moment and lead you all in a prayer because I believe and know that there is someone watching right now that does not have life in Jesus' name. Wherever you're sitting or standing or watching, would you close your eyes and bow your heads and pray with me? 
As you sit there and concentrate, I want you to recognize that in your soul, there's a deep need for a greater existence, for meaning or safety, sufficiency, unconditional love. The worry you have about your finances is a worry that God can't provide for you. The worry you have about your relationship is a worry that you can't behave perfectly at all times. And if you're stuck around your family, they're going to see it. We were designed by God to truly experience meaning and sufficiency and unconditional love only by knowing him and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. When we try to fill these built-in necessities in other ways, it causes us to turn away from God and toward drink or drugs or pleasure or entertainment or just keeping busy. This act of turning away from God is called sin. And so when we learn about the cross, on Good Friday and at other times, we recognize that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins because we're all sinners. The Bible says that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the perfection of God and that sin must be paid for. But the good news is that Jesus Christ will willingly got up on that cross. He let sinners drive nails into his hands. He let soldiers beat him and whip him. He let them put a crown of thorns into his flesh on his head. They abused him. They hurled insults at him. They had a sham of a trial to accuse him of blasphemy and ungodliness, though he is God. But Jesus did it. He wrestled with his father in the garden the night before. But he did it when he said, God, not my will, but your will be done. And he bore the sins of humanity on the cross for sinners like you and I. So that anyone who puts their faith in him can be reconciled to God. And he was laid in that tomb for your sins. He was buried in that grave for your sins. He was beaten and mocked and scandalized for your sins and my sins. He who knew no sin became sin for the dead and dying. And they put him in there and there he lay for three days. And then he rose victoriously on Sunday, the day we call Easter, to show you that he is God, that he is the Lord, that he has everything you need. If you will put your faith and trust in him, you can be saved. Your sins can be wiped away. You can have forgiveness and you can have a new life in Jesus Christ. And you can experience that God is alive. You can experience it as real as you hear my voice and as you see my face. You can experience that God loves you and died for you and rose from the grave to secure your salvation. Now we're going to pray together and some of you are going to invite Jesus Christ into your life. Please close your eyes and bow your heads. If you would like to admit like I have that you're a sinner and you know that you need a savior and you're ready to call Jesus Lord, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. Repeat the words after me and make the words your own. Pray something like this if you want to become a Christian and invite God into your life. Don't think you're a Christian because you went to church with grandma. Don't think you're a Christian because at some point in your life you were a good person. Only you become a Christian through the blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Pray this prayer today. Father God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I need your forgiveness for my sins. I know that Jesus paid the penalty for my sins and that through his death on the cross, he brought me back to you.
I believe he rose from the grave and is the Lord of all. I follow you today, Jesus. I give my life to you today, Jesus. I call you Lord today, Jesus. And I'd like everyone, and especially those who prayed that prayer with me, to say, in the name of Jesus, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to tell someone in the room. I want you to hit the Contact Us button on our website or fill out a response card. I gotta know that you prayed that prayer so I can start praying for you and invite you to be a part of our church family. Tell someone, keep watching us online, and when we gather again someday, you come be a part of Southside Christian Church in Spokane, Washington. Let's worship the Lord.